It's great to be together. Hopefully you're fired up to be here. And uh, you are here because you have been chosen. And I don't know if you like that, but, I, I, you know, I like to be chosen. I like to be picked. I like to, to be one that they select. And uh, you're one that has been selected, that has been chosen. And you've chosen to uh, be trained, uh, to receive training, to receive instruction so that you can grow spiritually. And I know that's a desire that we all have together. We all desire to grow spiritually. Amen. And it's also an opportunity for you to grow in your faith. As we develop in our faith, one of the steps that we need to take, all of us need to take as disciples and Christians, is taking the step of leadership, deciding to lead. And so you are here as leaders in training. You are here as people that are going above and beyond just being a disciple, but you're actually going to lead other disciples and inspire other people. Inspire other people with your words, with your heart, with your example, with your enthusiasm, and making sure that God's word is preached all around the communities that we are residing in here in Los Angeles. Amen? I want to thank Angela and Phil for the opportunity to be here to speak. It's great to be here with all of you guys. And what a great program. It hasn't been an awesome program. Uh, you know, what a great, uh, great organization and all the planning. I love the t-shirts. I love the logo. I love all the different lessons. I love Kaidos, you know, the whole idea of it, this is the time, you know, and this is an opportune time. And, and truly, this is something that really uh, we can sink our teeth into and, and gain a lot from. Amen. So hopefully you feel the same way as well this morning as I do, just being excited to be here, excited to be a part of this, and excited to, to have participated in this. I know you guys have been in this for the last three weeks, I believe. This is the fourth week. So I think it's just an awesome, awesome opportunity. Amen? Well, today we're going to be talking about a time to build team leadership. And truly, it's an important topic. But before that, I wanted to introduce myself and say a little bit about myself. I became a, a Christian in 1990 uh, in the UCLA campus ministry as a 20-year-old. And uh, so I was part of the West region at that time. And, and uh, uh, I was excited to be a Christian, excited to be saved, and, you know, excited to be used by God. Uh, about two years after that, I went to the ministry, and I started working as a campus minister. And I led a, a campus there at UCLA. Then I led the campus ministry at Santa Monica College. And right after I graduated in 1994, I went into the full-time ministry, and I started working with singles. That was kind of my ministry, working with singles. And so that since they saw that I was Latino, also working with Latino ministry. So I was kind of doing both things, you know, doing the singles, doing Latino ministry. And it was just a great time in the church. In uh, 1995, uh, as a single, I was asked to lead a church in Marina del Rey. And this was a church of singles and marrieds, adults and young people. Uh, me as a single and another uh, a single sister who had never even led a Bible talk. And now we were the brand new church leaders in Marina del Rey. And, uh, you know, it was just an exciting time. This is a, a kind of my leadership team there in Marina del Rey. We started with about 50 disciples. And uh, by October, which is the time when I was actually moved to the central region, uh, we were almost 100 disciples. And uh, so we had, you know, uh, marrieds and singles. And you're, you're wondering, well, how, how did you do it? You're a single. How did you lead marrieds? How did you disciple marrieds, you know? Uh, well, I really didn't disciple the Marys. I just, you know, led them in faith as far as the church was concerned. But I told them, hey, you guys got to help each other out. Now, I can tell you some general ideas, but I can't really tell you anything from practice or, or from my own experience. So that was in, in 1995. And uh, then after that, uh, I got married 
in uh, uh, the end of 1995, actually, my wife and I were engaged in Johannesburg, South Africa in uh, August of 1995. Uh, we actually got, uh, I asked her to marry me in the uh, highest uh, uh, floor of the highest tower of Johannesburg, which Johannesburg is kind of like Denver. It's a mile-high city. So I actually asked her to marry me in the highest point of all of Africa, higher than Mount Kilimanjaro. So it was, you know, basically on the top of Africa, that's where I asked my wife to marry me. You say, well, what is it, you know, why Africa? It just, Africa happened to be there. That's basically what it was it. I mean, there's no really, a real other significance in that. It was just I want to be married, and, you know, I wanted to marry my wife, Griselda, and so I asked her there in Johannesburg. And so we started uh, working together, uh, leading the, uh, uh, the, the ministry. This is my family uh, now. Uh, we've been in the same ministry uh, for the last 16 years. Uh, leading the Spanish-speaking ministry in the central region. And uh, we now have uh, over 300 disciples, uh, an attendance of over 500 people. And, uh, and now my wife and I lead the entire central region. And we're very, very excited because at this time we're actually expanding into two, new, two worship centers. We're going to have a worship center in Glendale. We're going to have a worship center in uh, San Gabriel. And so half of the ministry is splitting into half and half. And uh, we're just going to go after reaching out as many people as possible, amen, and expanding and really uh, multiplying God's Word all around. So that's a little bit about me. But we're going to be talking about a time to build team leadership. And truly, uh, the idea of team leadership is a concept uh, that reveals one of the greatest perils and opportunities in biblical leadership. You know, when you look in the Bible, you see so many examples of team leadership. And it could be a, a, a peril, and it also could be an opportunity. It's a peril because if you miss it, if you miss the concept of team leadership in your leadership, it will lead you to mediocrity in your leadership. You will not be able to be the best you can be. You will not be able to have the greatest impact you're able to have. It's an opportunity because team leadership is a vehicle towards greatest impact of God's Word. You know, it's the multiplication effect. It's really the exponential effect. It's the fact that together we are greater than the sum of each one's apart. That together we actually come up with greater things. We could do greater things together. Amen. It was so awesome to hear Jesus say to his disciples, Hey, listen, you will do greater things than, than I. Why? Because he understood that he was placing his own heart in a team, in a group of people that were going to go out and impact the entire world as they did. Amen? You know, team leadership is also an understanding and part of us understanding God as our creator. When you think about it, you know, we were created to be part of a team. We were put into a family. We weren't born in little pods, you know. They, we weren't like, you know, a little pod that was dropped from the sky and in the middle of the desert and there was a little pod and the little pod just kind of grew like an egg and then it just popped and there you are. We were all born into a family. We were born into communities. And so right from the onset, God's design is that we would be part of a team. But we, even when you think about the nature of God himself, when you think about the nature of divinity, God himself is a team. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together since creation and working together since that time throughout history. The Father and the Son 
and the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about team leadership, it's much more than a cool corporate concept. It's much more than a cool idea that, you're, that you can tweet, that you can hashtag. When we talk about team leadership, this is a concept that goes right to the heart of God, right to the heart of God's designs for us, right to the heart of God's desire for all of us spiritually, amen? You know, it's also a large part of the message of leadership in the Old and New Testaments. When you think about it, I mean, there's so much about team leadership in the Old and New Testament. You know, from Moses and his reliance on Aaron and the young Joshua and his lesson on delegation from his father-in-law Jethro. I don't know if you ever had, you know, a, a lesson from somebody older, you know, than you that's, it's, that gives you some great wisdom when Moses got that lesson, you know, to David and his mighty men. You know, David had a team to Nehemiah and his rebuilding team to Paul and his missionary teams of Barnabas and John Mark and Titus and Timothy and Dr. Luke he even had his own doctor, part of that team, right? Be cool to have a doctor in your team. But you know, it's obvious that God's power is revealed through teams. You know, but when you think about not being a one-man leader, not being a lone ranger leader, when you think about not being that superstar, you know, that everything, you know, it comes from you, that it has to be you, and, and, and you know, and, and you're kind of the middle, the center of everything. If anybody had an excuse to be a superstar because he was, it was Jesus Christ superstar, right? I mean, he was a true superstar. He was a true spiritual superstar. He was beyond anybody else. He stood far above everybody. I mean, he was divine in the flesh. And yet even Jesus, the greatest superstar of them all, worked and gave us the greatest examples of building team leadership. Amen? And using a team leadership to have the greatest impact possible. Let's go to our Bible. So Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35 uh, and through chapter 10 and verse 4. Matthew 9 and verse 35. Amen? You know, Jesus Christ superstar. I mean, he truly could have done it all himself, right? When you think about it, you know, I mean... He could have done it all himself. I mean, he had the power. He has all power. He's all powerful. Yet he understood the importance of working and developing a team to have the greatest impact possible. Let's go ahead and begin reading there in Matthew 9 and verse 35 through 36. The Bible says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. 
A true leader knows a true vision requires the building of a team. You know, that's really the concept that I want you to take with you today. That a true leader knows a true vision requires the building of a team. Vision and leadership go together. If I am a sitting in a room of leaders today, then I am sitting in a room full of vision. I'm sitting in a room full of different visions. I'm sitting in a room with one unified vision, which is the vision to seek and save the lost and to make disciples of all nations. But as a leader, you got to ask yourself, hey, do I have a vision? Do I have a true, clear vision? Because unless you have a vision as a leader, then you're going to have a hard time understanding the need for team leadership to have the greatest impact possible. You know, visionless leadership is a recipe for one man, superstar, lone ranger leadership. Because if you're just vision, you're, just, you're sort, sort of kind of going through the motions. You're just following the task. You're just doing what you're told. And if that's kind of where we're at, what ends up happening is we're thinking, you know what? It's better if I just do it myself. Because, you know, I don't have to depend on anybody else. I could get it done. I could get it done fast. I could get it done well and, and, and you know, kind of go from there. But let me ask you this question, you know, what is your vision as a leader? Do you have a clear vision? Do you know what you want to accomplish? Do you know what you want to happen in your ministry or whatever sphere of influence you have right now as a single? You say, well, you're right now, you know, I, I just have a small group. Well, what is your vision for your small group? You know, right now, honestly, I don't even have a small group. It's just me. Well, what is your vision for you? What are you going to do? You know, are you going to start a small group? Is that your goal? You know, by the end of the summer, I am going to be a small group. In reality, you're already a small group. I mean, it's you, but I'm going to be a bigger small group. You're not going to have, there's going to be two or three of us or four of us, you know. But, you know, that's a good question because team building originates here. In the fact that you as a leader have a vision. And that's what we see here in Jesus. You know, where did Jesus' vision originate from? Where did it come from? How was it manifested? And we see all this in this passage here, right? In, in Matthew 9, verse 35 to 38. What do we see here in Jesus' vision? We see that Jesus' vision is community-based. The Bible says that Jesus went through all towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. So Jesus went from town to town, from community to community. And his vision was community-based. You know, you are part of a community. A lot of times, you know, it's hard for us to think, well, i got to have a vision for the world, and i got to have a vision for all of L.A., and i got to have a vision for, you know, this whole area. And Amen, I think that's great, but, you know, we need to have a vision for where we live, for our community, for our neighborhood. And we see that Jesus' vision really had that that concept it was community based what else do we see in Jesus vision it was born of compassion the Bible says that when he saw the people he saw they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd you know I, I love that scripture it says when he saw the crowds you know I think sometimes we can be in the crowd 
We could be surrounded by the crowd. We could be around the crowd, but not see the crowd. You can not see the crowd. We can, we can just be oblivious to the crowd. We can be desensitized to the people around us. But Jesus had compassion. Jesus saw the crowd. Jesus saw people and he saw them for what their true spiritual needs were. You know, you might think, well, maybe that group that Jesus saw was just a ragtag group of a, you know, a bunch of people that just looked all tattered and beat up. I don't think that was the case. I'm sure there was all kinds of people in that demographic of that group he was looking at. But he didn't see the fine clothes. He didn't see the fine jewelry. He didn't see, you know, the, the torn up clothes. What he saw were souls that needed salvation. He saw a need. You know, and vision is born of compassion. You know, the reality is that the majority of the population in Los Angeles is single. There are more singles than there are married, marrieds in Los Angeles. But yet when we look at our church, our church is composed in a very large, to a very large degree by marrieds, by families. And so where is the compassion going to come from? Where are we, when are we going to look around at the crowd and stop ignoring the obvious need of saving more and more people and reaching out to as many singles as possible? Amen. You know, we see that Jesus' vision was anchored in faith. And that's a pretty important, you know, concept here. Because Jesus said he saw the crowds. And, you know, I don't know what, what, what can happen to you when you see a crowd, but some of us can get overwhelmed. We look around, we're like, whoa. How, and especially if your small group is only you. You look around, you're like, whoa, you know. How is my small group going to have an impact right here? I mean, look at this crowd. It's so huge. It's so big. But you know what Jesus saw? Jesus saw the crowds with eyes of faith. He says he looked at the crowd and he said, you know what? The harvest is plentiful. That's a statement of faith. He saw the crowd and says, you know, the harvest is plentiful. Is that the way you look at your community? Is that the way you look at your harvest, you know, place, your work, your neighborhood? Or you think, wow, you know what? Ain't nobody going to become Christian around my neighborhood. Well, how do you know? If it's up to you, then probably not. But if it's up to God, then absolutely. And you know what? There's so many stories that we can tell, that people can tell us of people who had had a great impact because they saw with eyes of faith instead of seeing with worldly eyes. You know, just recently I heard about uh, a brother. Um, if you look back at this picture, uh, I'm going to go back here a little bit. Let me see if I can go back all the way. There we go. I'll jump back to that one there. John, can you take me back to the picture of that team? Is anybody back there? There we go. There we go. Uh, there's a brother there uh, right next to uh, Lawrence Williamson who's over at the end with the glasses. Right next to him is Alex Suciati. Alex Suciati is an Indonesian brother. And when I led the, the campus ministry at Santa Monica College, uh, there was a large group of, of brothers from Indonesia that were part of my campus ministry. And so Alex actually went back and became a church leader out in Indonesia. He's actually now one of the region leaders there in the Jakarta Church of Christ. He's one of the main leaders in the Jakarta Church of Christ, Alex. And one of our friends... 
uh, in the campus ministry, uh, if you can go back to John, uh, Jesus' vision. Thanks, John. Uh, one of, one of uh, our friends was with William Gomulia. William Gomulia was a tall, very quiet, very reserved Indonesian brother. And um, I just heard this year that uh, he just passed away from cancer. Uh, he was actually pretty young, has a young family, have, has young kids. And, uh, but, you know, I remember a story from William's life that exemplifies this vision that is born of faith that Jesus had. Because when we were together in the, in the church there in Maria del Rey, uh, we started a campus ministry at Loyola Marymount University. So we would go out there and share our faith at Loyola Marymount because there were kind of the campuses around us. So we got to go, you know, let's go. And so we went. And uh, so William was out there. And uh, one of the, you know, Sunday services, I get up to preach. And I see William coming in. And I see this really tall guy come in. And, I mean, really tall, 6'8", Hulk of a man. And he comes in, he comes in with William. And this was Ime Oduak, or they call him Ime the Rock Oduak. He was a starting center for the Loyola Marymount University basketball team. And William Gomulia invited him to church. And he studied the Bible. And he became a disciple. Right now he's actually playing somewhere in Spain, I think. And they still, you know, keep in, in, in touch with Alex Ujiati and the other brothers. But, you know, you look at William, you, you think about, how did William bring, you know, uh, Ime, the rock or dwak, to church? Well, William just said he didn't care who he was. And he didn't care who Ime was. He just cared who God was. And he saw the need, and he went out, he shared his faith, and, and lo and behold, Ime was open. He was totally open. I mean, it was awesome, you know, praying and holding someone's hand, you know, right before the study, and their hand just kind of envelopes your hand, you know, it just like, I was like, wow, <laughs> this is awesome. And, you know, and having him at church, I mean, at me preaching, I was a young preacher, young minister, and, you know, we had our church there. And it was just awesome having him there because I felt protected. I felt like, you know what, I mean, we're, we're, we're taking care of right here, amen? But, you know, Jesus' uh, uh, vision was anchored in faith. We also see that Jesus' vision was based on a real need. You know, Jesus said, you know what, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, I mean, we need to do something. There's a need here. You know, and, and our vision is based also on a real need. And you know what? It's also Jesus' vision was reliant on spirituality, on spiritual power. You know, it's very important that we remember that, you know, we're not, we're not selling soap. We're not selling Amway. We're not, you know, door-to-door book salesmen or salespeople. We are taking the gospel around the world, taking our gospel to the community. We're doing spiritual work. We're doing God's work. And we can't do God's work if we don't pray. You know, Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest therefore. He said, you know what, guys, pray, man. We need workers. Look at this. There's so much work to do. You know what? Your, your leadership is always going to be limited by the strength of your prayer life. That's going to be 
a truth. It's always going to be limited. You can only depend on your talents so much. And yes, God does give us talents. And maybe that's why you're here today, because you're a talented person. Amen. That's awesome. But, you know, like my old, my old friend Marty says, you know, talent and a quarter will buy you a cup of coffee. Now, he used to tell me back in the 90s, okay, so that was before Starbucks. <laughs> but, you know, talent really is meaningless without spirituality, without dependence and reliance on God. Amen? So there we see, you know, Jesus' vision. And what else do we see? It led to the building of his team. You know, Jesus had vision for his community. It was born of compassion. It was anchored in faith. It was based on real need. It relied on spirituality. But you know what? That's what it says. You know what? I need to build a team. And we see another switch where he actually spends the night praying to God. Think about who's going to be part of this team, right? And then we see kind of the group, the group that he selects to start his team. You know, it says these are the names. It's kind of a scraggly sounding group, right? You know, Simon, call Peter. You know, let's change his name. Andrew, son of Zebedee, you know, sons of thunder, right? Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, tax collectors, James and Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. He just knew, hey, I got to get a team. And he chose this, this ragtag, scraggly group. But he gave him vision and he trained into them a vision for the lost world. If you're going to be a true leader then this is the model of Jesus. This is the most direct leadership model we have in the entire Bible of what we do when we capture a vision, when that vision is based on faith and that vision then is cast towards action in our ministries. As Jesus builds a leadership team. You know, I think about that, uh, my time in, in, this, uh, in the marina sector as a single. And, I, you know, I... I was a single per, at that time for a pretty long time compared to other people. It seems like everybody else was getting married, you know, and uh, there was actually a couple lessons where, you know, uh, a brother said, you know, I wonder what's wrong with Raphael. He hasn't gotten married yet. Yeah, I, I took it in stride, you know, amen, amen. It was the less sensitive days. But, you know, I think about uh, this group of people, it just, this is my leadership team. And why was this a leadership team? Because I knew, man, I'm just a young, single guy who doesn't know much. And these, there's, here, their disciples have been disciples longer than I have. They're married. They have kids. One of them, you know, almost had teen kids. And, you know, I'm leading them. So, man, I need help. Right? So then I got this team together. And, you know, God was able to do great, great things with that group of people. A true leader knows a true vision requires the building of a team. You know, uh, it's very important for us to understand that without vision, team building becomes just delegation. And you might think, you know what, I'm an awesome team builder, man. Look, I got this person doing this, and this person doing that, and this person doing this, and this person doing that. I mean, we got an awesome team. Without a vision, then you're just a great delegator. And I've seen this many times with leaders who basically say, you know what, I'm just going to get all the people to do all the menial tasks because I, as a leader, have more important things to do. 
you know, and interns just become, you know, people who, uh, you know, do all the menial tasks, or interns become just people who do the babysitting, or interns become, you know, the rookies who carry the bags for all the veterans. And there's no vision, there's no training going on to make sure that each of these people become a greater version of that leader to be able to impact the world. I mean, right now we're just minuscule. We're just so little. There's so much work to do. But without vision, we just become delegators. People who basically say, you know, you do this, you do that. Amen? You know, when we talk about visionary team building, visionary team building implies training the next generation of carriers of the gospel. You know, that's what it, it involves training. It's not just delegating. It's understanding, you know what, I'm actually raising somebody up. Raising somebody up to even be greater than I am. Raising somebody up to, great, to do great things. And as a leader, that's our responsibility, raising other people to be part of our team. Amen? Let me see here, is this still on? There we go. A, a visionary team building implies raising up partners in the gospel. You know, you're not raising up worker bees. You're not saying, you know, let me get a bunch of people to do a lot of work for me. You are raising up partners in the gospel. People that you are going to work alongside. And yes, you can be the point person. Yes, you can be a leader. Yes, you can lead. Yes, you can use your talents. Yes, you can be dynamic. Yes, you don't have to be falsely humble. But there needs to be an understanding that, hey, this is, we're, we're partners together in the work of the Lord. Amen? And visionary team leadership implies believing in people's ultimate potential. I mean, don't we see that in Jesus? I mean, you look at that scraggly group of apostles and you think, man, why did he choose those guys? Weren't there any better guys than those guys? But Jesus didn't see them as they were. He saw them as what they could be, what they would eventually be. And so visionary leadership implies you looking at somebody and seeing what they can become, what they can be. And maybe at the time they're immature, maybe at the time they need training, maybe at the time they have issues, right? Raise your hand if you had issues. I mean, we've all had issues. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, you got that issue as well. <clears throat> But, you know, understand that in, in spite of where they're at that time, God has great plans for them in the future and having vision for them of what they can be. Amen? What are some obstacles to building team leadership? What are some of the obstacles, the things that get in the way of us building team leadership? One of those is pride. You know, one of the uh, natures of leadership is that we, we're successful. And, you know, when, when there's success, we, we can begin to believe that we're good at everything. That we're kind of the experts of everything. And the more successful we are, the more we believe that, and the less people won't tell us that, hey, listen, this thing you're talking about, you don't know anything about it. But since we're the leader... We can believe that, hey, listen, you know, I, I know it all. And pride is an obstacle to team leadership because basically you think, you think you know better. 
You know, I love Marty Fuquay because his thing, he always would tell us, in camp, this is in campus ministry. And he says, you know what? I know all of you guys are smarter than I am. I'm the dumbest person in this room. That's what he says. To this day with our staff in the central region, he's now our elder there in the central region. He says, you know what? I am the dumbest person in this room. And the best thing I could do was gather around a group of people that were smarter than I am. He says, that's the best, my best move of leadership I could ever do. You know, and there's a humility that we need to have in our own abilities and who we are. But pride is an obstacle to team leadership. You know, what else is an obstacle? Laziness. It's so much easier not dealing with drama. It's so much easier not dealing with that brother that let us down when we asked him to do something. It's so much easier just doing it ourselves. It's so much easier just making a quick decision without having to talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. You know, why can't I just decide? You know, there's some people that believe, you know, the best type of leadership is a benevolent dictatorship. You know, that one person calls the shots, but he's a good person. And the problem with a benevolent dictatorship is it starts benevolent, but it doesn't end benevolent. You know what I'm saying? You know, talk, talk to the Syrians. And, and, you know, a lot of times we think, you know, I just got to, you know, I got to be good, but I got to make, I got to call the shot. Someone's got to make the decision. I am the decider. And it, you know what it is? It's just laziness. You don't want to do the work. You don't want to call the meeting. You don't want to stay up talking about it. You don't want to, you don't want to, you know, make, do the work to create a greater result for God. Amen. So laziness is an obstacle. You know, another obstacle is insecurity. You know, we start thinking, man, is this person going to be better than I am? Do they think they're better than I am? Do they believe in her more than they believe in me? You know, but I want to go in the ministry. What if they put her in the ministry instead? Or what if they put him in the ministry instead? You know, and, and man, he's doing so good that it's making me look bad. You know, and our insecurity stops us from, you know, being a team builder. And we actually can become a team crusher. We're sort of like, nah, you know, that guy, you can't trust him. You know, you know I don't think we need to add him to the team. And a lot of times it's just because you're insecure. You're competitive. You know, and insecurity stops team. It's not that idea of understanding, hey, listen, you know, hey, someone can, become, can come that is greater than, is better than, knows things. Remember, this is, this is spirituality we're talking about here, brothers and sisters. We're not talking about being in a corporate team. You're not working for Google. You know, we're talking about working for the Lord. Amen. You know, another thing that gets in the way of obstacles for building team leadership is, is impatience. We just want things and we want them now. We're pushy. You know, yeah, we have, quote, unquote, a team, but we don't let the team be team. We're sort of telling the team what to do, and we're sort of pushing them. We're pushing them in that direction. Now, remember, this is a, a, you know, a long time ago. It was actually, in, in, I wasn't around. I became Christian Nights, but in the 80s, someone was telling me a story of this meeting that they had with one of the, you know, one, with their main leader. The main leader was very, very uh, uh, charismatic and very uh, pushy. And so he was saying, hey, you know, uh, we're going to do this and this and this and this. What do you guys think? And so finally, one of the sisters raises her hand and says, are you asking us what you think because you might change your mind? Or are you asking us what you think because you're going to do what you want to do anyways? And it was like, whoa, you know, there was just like silence in the room. 
But you know what? That's, we can be that way as well. We sort of got a group of people. We ask them what they think, but you're going to do what you want to do anyways. Can your mind be changed? You know, let me tell you something. I've been with Marty for a long time now. Obviously now uh, my wife and I lead the, the central region for, for many years, and many, even now Marty and Chris disciple us. They're our, our mentors. He's, he's uh, you know, the older brother in the faith for me. And so, you know, he's trained me since I was in campus. In campus. The entire time that I remember, even when I was a campus student, Marty has never done anything in the ministry that I did not agree with. Even as a young leader, if Marty said, hey, you know what, I think we're thinking of doing this in, in our region, whether it be the West or the Central. And I said, you know what, bro, I just don't think that would be good. I don't think that would be good for this or I don't think that would be good for that. That wouldn't be good for this, the ministry, uh, our ministry. And you know what? He won't do it. And he won't even argue about it. He won't even say, oh, man, so now I can't do it. He just said, amen. You know, that's what we're talking about, having the heart of Jesus. Amen. Let's read a, a couple scriptures here to close together. Amen. Because it all comes back to the heart of Jesus. Matthew 20, verse 25 to 28. Matthew 20, 25 to 28. And you can uh, uh, follow along here on the screen. It says, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, this is the heart of Jesus' leadership. is being a servant. is giving to others. Being a slave. He says, you want to become great? Be a servant. You want to be first? Be a slave. That is the model. That is the heart of Jesus. John 15 and verse 15. You know, this is Jesus with his disciples. This is Jesus with the knuckleheads we hear about every Sunday at church. I mean, we probably hear a knucklehead story almost every Sunday at church about one of these guys. Right? It, it was the, the first, the 12 stooges. But look, look what, uh, what Jesus tells him. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You know, you're not just my, my interns at doing menial tasks. You're not just, you know, kind of my crew that kind of follows me around and, you know, says how awesome I am. You know, and kind of repeats the main words in my rap. No, you're actually my partners. You're my friends. Why? Because... Everything I've learned from my Father, I've made it known to you because I'm training you, because I'm building you up, because I'm making you better. Amen? A true leader knows a true vision, requires a building of a team. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, that it's Kairos. It's time. It's time for you to have a vision, a true vision that leads you to build a team that will have a lasting impact in your community 
and around the world. Amen? Brothers and sisters, I love you. Thank you for your time, and may God bless you.